Amen. Well, Paul wanted nothing more in this life than to know Christ and to be like Christ. Uh, He wanted that more than temporal comfort. He wanted it more than financial security. He wanted it more than personal recognition. All these things that, that people in the world are pursuing, this is their goal, what they seek after. And, and Paul is just happy to put all those things aside because he just simply has one goal, and that is to know Christ and to be like him. And even though this was his goal, he knew very well that he had not achieved that goal yet. He had not arrived. He had not come to the point of, of perfection of Jesus Christ in his own daily walk. In fact, he knew that no matter how hard he pressed for that goal or how long he pressed for that goal, that in this age he would, he would never achieve it, only in the age to come. Paul wrote in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, When Christ, who is your life, appears... Christ is to be our life. For Paul, he could have said it this, for Christ who is my life appears. He says, then I also will appear with him in glory. He says, I will never achieve my goal here on this earth. That is to be completely like Jesus Christ, but I will become like him in the age to come when I see Jesus face to face. And so even though this was his goal, and even though he knew that he would never ultimately achieve it here on earth, he still continues after that goal. He says, as we saw last week, he said that for him, there is one thing that he would do no matter what. And that is to forget what lies behind and to continue to pursue what is ahead. That is the finish line of Christ's likeness of who he wanted to be able to be. Now, Paul is going to shift focus here. That is what, last week, his focus was pretty much all on himself. Now he's going to take the spotlight and that focus off himself, and he's going to place it on the Philippians, and in do so, place it on us. In essence, what Paul is saying is, hey, listen, enough about me. Let's talk about you. He said, uh, it's enough about me telling you what it is that I live for, what my goal is, and what I am doing. What I want to know is, what is your goal? What is it that you want to do more than anything else on earth? What is it that you want to achieve? What what is it that you are doing with your life? And what Paul, in essence, is going to do is he wants us to follow his example. He wants our desire to be his desire, to know Christ and to be like him. He wants what he's doing, what he is set to do in his life over everything else is that to pursue Christ, to forget what's in the past, that is, forget about our failures, forget about even our successes, and just focus on Christ in the finish line and run. That's what he wants to do. He wants us to follow his example. So in order to get us to do so, he provides for us three helpful things, three helpful things that's going to help us, encourage us to follow the example that Paul has set for us. There's three things, his plea, his warning, and his assurance. So let's look at all three of those. First of all, Paul, let's look at Paul's plea. Notice, if you will, in Philippians 3, verse 17. The Bible says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes. Excuse me one second. I got to fix that. All right. He says, And keep your eyes 
on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Now, if you understood what Paul was saying, it should have made you feel a little bit uncomfortable in reading it, okay? Uh, Because, uh, I don't know about you, but it sounds a little big-headed, sounds a little arrogant to tell people that it would do them well to be more like you. All right, and that's what Paul just did. All right, and so uh, what happens is I think most of us give people the opposite advice that Paul is giving us today. Maybe there was a time in your life where somebody came up to you. This is always kind of exciting but intimidating. If somebody's come up to you and said perhaps to you, hey, listen, I just want to let you know what an encouragement you are in the Lord by watching your life. And I've been, I've been watching you, and, and I've been seeing the way that you live your life for Jesus Christ. And I want to let you know that it's encouraged me all the more to be able to follow Christ and to live like you're seeking to be able to live. And if that's ever happened to you, all right, then you're not sitting there jumping up and down. You're, you're probably sitting there a little bit going, hey, man, don't, don't look at me. Uh, because you're, you're thinking to yourself, you saw something good in me. And the reason for that response is because you and I know ourselves well. Uh, We know our downfalls. We know all of our shortcomings. And and, and for them, what we're afraid is, hey man, don't look at uh, me because if you look too closely or too long, you're going to see things that are not encouraging, but discouraging. And so we often say to them something to this fashion, hey man, don't look at me. Look at, look at Christ. No, seriously, look at him. Uh, stop looking at me. All right, that's kind of what, what we are. So it's opposite of what Paul is saying here. Now, the problem with that and trying to deflect and trying to get people not to look at us or not to follow our example is that it's impossible. Uh, we don't have that power it is normal and it is normative and it is a part of who we are to be able to follow, watch others, follow the examples of others, and to be able to live according to whatever that example is that people are laying out before us. Now, it's true that a person can become too focused on another to the point where they begin to place their faith in a person rather than in the God to whom they're supposedly be emulating and, and being an example of. We've seen this, Right. We hear, unfortunately, about pastors or, or spiritual leaders that fall into deep sin and whatever that might be. And we found out that their followers, in fact, were probably following them too closely rather than the God that they were supposed to be emulating. And, and we find out that they get discouraged and, and, and disillusioned until they eventually fall away from the faith altogether. Now, that is true. It is possible for us to be able to put too much faith in people, but that doesn't change the fact that you and I, no matter how we want to say, are always looking at the example of other people and will always follow the examples that are set before us. And likewise, people are always looking at us and we are always setting an example for other people. And we find this and we understand this is true. It's in true in every aspect of our life. It's the way in which we learn. It's the way we learn a particular profession by watching others and how they do it. It's, it's, how, we, uh, it's how people learn how to become a parent by watching their parents parent. And it's also how we learn to follow Jesus Christ and, and walk a life and live a life worthy of the gospel. Uh, when I was a little kid, um, I loved to be with my dad like all the time. I don't know if you were like this, but when my dad was outside in the, in the 100 degree heat and working in the lawn, I just loved to be able to be out there with him and walk along with him and I- imitating him and watching him and learning things from him. And I remember one particular birthday, he bought me a plastic lawnmower. 
And I was so excited because now I actually got to mow the grass with dad, right? So there he was with his old crank up, you know, unleaded fuel gas, you know, uh, 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 lawnmower. And mine looked almost exactly like his, which was so cool. It was green and yellow. His was just green. And, and his used unleaded gasoline fueled. Mine was fueled by liquid soap. And uh, what I would love is he would start that up, and when I would start mine up, and he would begin to go, I'd begin to go, and mine shot bubbles out the top, all right? So mine was really cool, okay? I wish I still had it. And so he, he would go, and he would be pushing that lawnmower, and there I was right behind him, and, and I would push it. And he, when he pushed, I pushed. When he stopped, I stopped. When, when he took a break, I took a break. When he, when he, when he uh, get frustrated, I uh, get frustrated, I would do everything that he was ultimately doing. And you say, well, why would you be doing that? I did that because it came natural to me. It wasn't something that I thought about or somebody told me that I should. All I knew was that this was a person that was setting an example. And it was natural to who I was as a human being to follow the example that was being laid out before me. And it's not only true for children and and true for almost every area of our life, but this is true in how we learn to walk a life that is worthy of the gospel. We come together and we study the word, and and, and we're always emphasizing study the word, know the word, and, and we need to do it. But how you really know how all of this looks in a regular everyday life is by looking at the examples of other believers in Jesus Christ around us. That's how we learn what the word of God really looks like in flesh and blood. It's through the examples of one another. And so we see this, and this is why Chris, in the very beginning of the sermon uh, or service, began to talk about small groups. This is why you can't live your Christian life in isolation. I, I know sometimes it's like, man, it's kind of a pain to get in there and you got to deal with people and everything else. But, but this is the way that God has created us. He's created us to live out the Christian life in community. Why? Because we need good examples of how to live. We need to know how to live a life, not, not a moral life, but a life unto God. And, and not only do we need examples, but other people need an example to see what that looks like. That's why we live in community and we can't live in isolation. Now, Paul knew that by nature the Philippians were going to follow an example. The, the question was, what example were they going to ultimately follow? And so what he's doing is he's encouraging them to find, follow his example, and, and, and as we'll see, not the example of other people. It, it's, it's kind of his example and the uh, uh, example of Timothy and Epaphroditus as well. We talked about them a couple weeks ago and, and how they demonstrated the life of Jesus Christ before them. But the question is, what is it that he's asking them to follow? What example specifically? I think that, to, to put it in two ways, I think, number one, he's saying, follow my example of godliness, of Christ-likeness. Remember we said last week that God didn't just save us to rescue us from the penalty of sin. Jesus Christ saved us, get this, not just from the penalty of sin, but to save us from sin itself, to get us to the point that we no longer sin. Now, don't misunderstand me. Can't achieve perfection in this life, but the Bible does promise this that those who are truly born again, that God will, as he said in chapter 1 and verse 6, 
over day after day, month after month, year after year, will look less and less like they used to look and more and more like the person of Jesus Christ who God has saved them to ultimately look like. And so here's what he wants of them. And so they're supposed to look like Christ. And, and this has an impact on those who are ultimately around us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, this is the way it works. He says, in the same way, let your light so shine. What is the light of a believer of Jesus Christ? It's their Christ-likeness. Jesus Christ is the light, the ultimate light who came into the world. What are we? We're reflecting that light. He says, let your light so shine. Let your Christ-likeness so shine before men so that when they see your good works, they will praise your Father who is in heaven. Okay? And so this is how it works. As you're becoming more like Christ, the lost and dying world see what Christ is like through your living, which builds in them a desire to, to know who this Christ is. But it works also within the church itself. When you're within the church and you're living like Christ and you're becoming more like Christ, it's encouragement to those who are around you who praise the Father and want to live the same holy life that you are seeking to be able to do as well. And, but I think that there's more than just one example. I don't, I don't just think he's calling them to an example of being like Christ, I think there's something else he's encouraging us to follow the example of as well, and that is his pursuit of Jesus. See, Paul had said last week that he himself, not once, he said it twice, that he himself had not arrived, that he had not yet been able to be perfect. So there's areas of his life that are going to look just like Jesus Christ, and then there's going to be all these other areas that don't. Do you know what I'm talking about? where I've seen a lot, and I'm like, God, you've given me victory over this. I feel pretty good over in this area over here that I'm kind of modeling Jesus Christ. But there's a couple areas that I'm like, yeah, not there yet. So he says, look, in the areas that I am like Jesus Christ, follow that model, follow that example, but I know in myself that I've fallen short. Therefore, at least follow my passionate pursuit after Christ's likeness and after the Lord Jesus Christ. So at least follow in how I'm pursuing him, how I'm living my life, everything unto him. Now, if you, he's in essence saying, hey, listen, follow my unbreaking, unrelenting, passionate pursuit to know Jesus Christ. Those are the examples he wants them to follow and for us to follow. Now, if you're just wondering how serious God is about this whole living an example and being an example, how serious God is about this, uh, he, listen to this warning in Matthew chapter 9, verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for them if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. The context there is talking about not just little children, but young believers in Jesus Christ. So here's what he says. In the Matthew passage that I had uh, read before, he said, look, somebody's going to follow your example. And if it's a good example and if it's a Christ-like example, God is going to receive glory in heaven because of how you're living your life unto God. If that example is not what it ought to be, well, it's going to end up with you in a deep sea with a, mill or with a millstone around your neck. Now, what that means, I don't know, okay, completely. I know this. I don't want to be there. I know it's not a good thing. If you're like God's glory or you millstone at the bottom of the sea, I choose God's glory, right? That's where we want to be. And so he's coming and he's saying, hey, look, you've got your choice. 
You will always be viewed. People are looking at you. Your children are watching you. Other believers are watching you. You can't be like a professional athlete who sits there and acts like a complete idiot and then turns around and says, well, I never asked to be a role model. Too bad. You're in the position you're a role model. Hey, guess what? Too bad you can't opt out of being an example to those who are ultimately around you. You can't sit there and say, son, don't do like I did. I'm making a lot of mistakes. Don't do like me. You can't do it. People are seeing you. They're watching you. And they watch whether it is a pursuit for Christ's likeness or not. And they learn and they model your passion for Christ. Is anyone hearing this at all or... Uh, okay, just every once in a while. I know we're not an amening church, but a little this would be great, okay? All right, something. And so, so here is this, and especially important, listen, this is especially important for these here. When he says, follow my example, it's so important because stop and think contextually here. Stop and think, they did not have the completed canon. That means that they didn't have the full word of God. In fact, the scriptures that they had, they didn't have it in a nice bonded leather, you know, pass, you know, oh, so smooth. And, and uh, they didn't have it all together like that. Uh, they didn't have it accessible like that. They didn't even have the, most of the New Testament even written at this point and assembled at this particular point. So just think about how Paul's example was so much more important. For them to know what Christ liked, they just couldn't pick up the scriptures and be able to read it. They needed somebody to be able to model out exactly what Jesus looked like. In that perception. Now, let me finish this point with this question. If the people around you don't have the scriptures, and the last that I checked, lost people don't just sit there and go, yeah, I really enjoy being in the Bible and reading it. Lots of times you can't even get God's people to pick up the Bible and to begin reading it. Never mind those who are, are lost. Let me ask you, if the people around you are dependent upon your example to tell them and to show them what Jesus Christ is like, what would they know about Christ? Would they know that he's patient? Would they know that he's holy because you're living and seeking a life of holiness? Would they know about Christ that he's, he's forgiving, abundantly forgiving, because you're a person who easily easily and generously forgives? Would he know of Christ that he's generous by you being generous? Would he know that you are a person that is full of grace and mercy because of the way that you live? You know, we, we, we talk all the time and look, you know, I'm getting older. I know I look like I'm getting younger, but I'm getting older. Kids are beginning to grow up and, and, and I begin to wonder, look, look, I'm just like you, and I know you know this. You've, if you've been here long enough, I don't have to tell you I'm a sinner. You see it, <laughs> all, right, all right? But but as our kids are growing older, I've got all the same worries that you do. College, how we could do that? How we could work that? Are we making enough right now? Are we making the right decisions? You know, you got a retirement coming up. Are we even doing anything about that? And then everything you read, you're like, uh-oh, we're getting started late. Uh-oh, what are we going to do? I got all of those things. And you're worried about your children and you're worried about what they're doing and you're worried about what you need to get them and you're worried about whatever. You know, your kids go from, they don't care what they wear. Oh, wasn't that a wonderful time? So great. You know what I mean? You're just like, yeah, this is like hand-me-downs from the 50s. And you like give it to them and they're like, good! You know, because I'm just gonna wreck it anyway. And then one day, all of a sudden, that awkward thing, they begin to like care about what they wear. And then all of a sudden, you're like, 
we actually got to go and buy something like at the regular store now. You, you understand what I'm saying? But as a parent's heart, you know how you're sitting there going, well, I want to try to get that for them. Anybody else on the same plane? How about putting the college thing and all that just, just aside just a little bit and sit there and go, what they need more than anything is an example of Christ's likeness. And what they need more than anything is to see what it looks like. Men, listen to me. What they need more than anything is to see what it looks like to be in passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ. That's what they need. Forget the wallet, forget the money, forget the college for a moment. Give them what they ultimately need, what God has called you to do. Amen? All right. Next point. One third done. Praise Jesus. All right. Paul's plea, or more than that, by the way, just to encourage some of you. Uh, Second is Paul's warning. He gives us a warning. Verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you, And now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, here is when we see, when we actually read this verse, understand what he's saying, we begin to understand his reason for urgency to get these people to follow his example and not the example of who he refers to as as the enemies of the cross of Christ. So remember what we said, human nature, follow the examples of others. Yes, watch and follow example. You are going to follow some example, either good example, bad example. Paul knows this. He calls them to follow the good example, not the bad example. Now, the bad example, obviously, is the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, stick with me just for a moment. This is a little bit difficult because there's so much disagreement about who Paul is really talking about here. Uh, Some have suggested that Paul is really talking about the Judaizers. If you've been here with our study, same Judaizers that keep saying that in, in, in order to be saved, you have to... Be perfect, basically. It's by your works that you're ultimately born again. And if that's the case, then his sentence when he says, of whom I have often told you, because he's mentioned them on several occasions in the book, he says, and now I tell you even with tears. When he says, I tell you in tears, uh, he's, he's, he's to the point of tears in frustration because of this group of false teachers. Has anybody ever got you to the point where you're beyond getting angry and you're just so frustrated you begin to cry? All right, that's men like, no, yeah, yes, you are. Okay, so there's people there, you're just like, I just can't do anything. Every time Paul goes and takes the gospel somewhere new, these crooked noses, wicked people follow right behind him and they begin to gather up low-hanging fruit. That is those that didn't really get the gospel, didn't really understand it. They come along and say, let me explain what Paul was really saying. And then they, 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 they whisk them away into this false doctrine and into a journey to hell, in essence, is what they were doing. And Paul's so frustrated with them that he's to the point of tears. And then notice, that would make sense then when he says, they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Why would they be enemies of the cross of Christ? Because what they're saying is that Jesus' death upon the cross was insufficient for the forgiveness and the right standing before God for you and I. It's not just what Jesus Christ did. What you need is you need to be a good person. And he says that teaching is being an enemy of the teaching of the cross of Christ. You're standing against it, not for it. So if that is who Paul is referring to, is the Judaizers, then that's what he means by what he writes in verse 18. But there are other commentators that suggest that they're not talking about the Judaizers, that here he's actually introducing a completely different false group of false teachers. 
And this is a group that basically uh, held to and taught a false teaching known as antinomianism. All right, it's even hard to say. Antinomianism. And, and the whole point behind it, it's actually just the opposite of the teaching of the Judaizers. The Judaizers put a premium on your works in order for you to be able to be born again. They put no emphasis at all on works or transformation or goodness or righteousness or holiness at all. Okay, let me, let me explain. They believe that you were soul and you were body, but those two things were so completely removed from each other that as long as you were, your, your soul was redeemed by God, then it didn't matter what you did with your body. You can live whatever way that you want to live. You can be involved in sin, get in the grossest aspects of sin. Why? Because what you're doing over here with your body has no connection whatsoever with who you are in Christ. You could just, they're, they're the types that, uh, are, that Paul refers to. Their favorite saying would be, let's sin all the more so that grace may abound all the more. That would be one of the statements that they would love to be able to use. And if that's the case, if that's who Paul is referring to here, then when he says that uh, I, I, I've mentioned to them to you before, then it's probably not from this letter, but it's probably when they were with them there in Philippi. And then when he says here, he says, and I say these with their tears. Now catch this. He's not doing this out of frustration. He's doing this in, in, in tears as he writes this because his heart is broken. See if you track with me with this. This particular group of people used to be a part of the church. They used to break bread together. They used to take the Lord's Supper together. These were people that made a public profession of faith through, through baptism in Jesus Christ, through water baptism. They met with each other. They talked with each other. They strategized. They prayed with each other. And over a period of time, they fell away. They fell away. And they fell away into deeper and steeper and more severe sin. And no matter what Paul or anybody else kept saying to them, saying, brother, you're in sin, you need to turn, you're not where you ultimately need to be. And did you notice this? He says, there's many, there's many of them, and they're no longer in church, they're no longer with the body, they've just fallen completely away, no desire to do the things of God, but here's where they are. Whenever they're confronted by this fact and confronted with their sin, they sit there and go, it's okay, I know I'm right with God. I accepted him into the God-sized hole of my heart. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. But do you see the mistake that they make? That is true. A person is saved by grace through faith. Let me clarify this. There's nothing you can bring. There's nothing you could do to earn right standing before God. But we still believe that works are essential, not for salvation, but to demonstrate that you have indeed been saved. It's evidence that you have been saved born again. So you can't throw works out altogether. For salvation itself, you can. But if to know whether you're in the faith or not is going to determine whether you look more and more like Jesus throughout the years and the days and the months and all those other things. And so this is where Paul is. And then, so they think, listen, they're in sin, they're away from God, they're away from his church, they have nothing to do with them, but yet when you talk with them, they're still confident that they're right with God and they're on their way to heaven. Verse 19, notice this, and he writes, this is reality. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. 
He says they think that they're on their way to heaven, but, tr- but truthfully, hell is their actual destiny. This is where they're actually going to go. No matter what they profess, this is where they're headed. They claim that God, they claim that Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Savior. In fact, the Lord of their life is their belly. That, that, that's who lords over them. The word belly here refers to sinful and sexual appetites. So what they find is that here's the difference between those who were lost and those who were born again. Those who are born again are seeking to be submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? I'm making sure we understand those who are not in the faith, the Bible says, is submitted to their own fleshly lusts. That's what they're trying to satisfy. That what, that's what rules them and determines what they're going to do. It doesn't mean that a believer doesn't have those same lusts. Hear me. Doesn't mean that they don't have those same fleshly desires to do those things, but they're not ruled by it. They're not lorded by it. Their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they die to the flesh and they submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And so here he says, he says that they, they're, they're not submitting to God, they're submitting to their own sexual and sinful desires without restraint. Notice next, their glory is their shame. It means simply that what they sought to be ashamed, what they ought to be ashamed of in their life, they actually boast in Christ and his grace over while they're pursuing that sin. Kind of like this. Do you remember the story in, in, in 1 Corinthians and they're the, Cor- the Corinthian church? By the way, don't, don't ever be like First Baptist Corinth. People think that's a great thing. Not a good thing to be named after the most carnal church in the New Testament, all right? And so, so they, 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 they sit there and, and they come and they have all these problems so sinful were they, listen to this, that at one particular point, Paul says to them, says, you are in such gross sin that you take part in things that even your lost culture doesn't even, isn't even accepting of. And what he was referring to, he says, one of you, your members are, are, are having sexual relationships with, your fa- with his, his father's wife, his stepmom, in essence. And he says, this isn't even heard of or accepted within your pagan culture, but yet you're holding to it, and they're boasting the whole time while doing it and saying, look at the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, because where, where, great, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And you know what Paul says to them? It is not right for you to boast in this. It is not right for you to boast. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 specifically, your boasting is not good. And then notice the last thing that he says, with minds set on earthly things. Simply, their thoughts are not on Christ, his ways, his work, and his glory. Let me take a time out here. The biggest challenge that I have from week to week is to try to give a clear understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Clear understanding. And what I mean by that is sometimes it's so confusing because at one point, our culture, and we see it in our culture, you you, you see some people living like Judaizers, don't you? Even in our culture, usually this is the unchurched. You go to them and say, hey, would you like to go to church? Hey, no, I'm good. I'm all, I'm, I'm all set. If you ask them, are you going to go to heaven? Yes, why? Because I'm a good person. What are they, what are they doing? They're, they're like the Judaizers. I'm, I'm a good person. I have the ability to be able to earn my, my own salvation. But what I think is so prevalent here in our culture, in our community, is this other kind of heresy 
where people will claim to know God because they're so excited that, hey, man, it's just about believing the right thing. It's just, it's just about the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins and he took away, he took away the penalty of our sin. But what they're denying is the full gospel, which says he's not only come to take us away and take away the consequence of our sin, but to take away sin itself. And so what we see is I've got friends, and maybe you have friends, and there's people that I meet all the time who once were with us, but they are no longer with us. They faded away into apostasy, thinking that they're still right with Jesus Christ because, because that grace is going to sustain them, even though they are pursuing sin. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever is a believer is not pursuing sin as a lifestyle. They fall into it. There's weaknesses that we even sin purposely. Hey, it's messy, but it cannot be a lifestyle for us. It is not the direction in which we're pursuing. For the people of Jesus Christ, they pursue Christ over all else. Finally, he gives the assurance. Now notice this. In the assurance aspect, look at the very last thing. We'll close with this. Verse 19, or verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Did you hear that? Our citizenship is in heaven. All of you that are falling apart because of the condition of America, let me give you a good word. This is not your ultimate home. This is not your ultimate citizenship. You, there is life after America. Do you, do you understand? Now, some of you are going to be, how, how can you say that? Because it's what the Bible says. There's life after America. There's a greater citizenship than your... I, it's so difficult to communicate. You guys do realize that, right? Because as I'm saying this, somebody's going to go, well, I'm a vet, and I died to keep us free. Thank you. Thank you. But my Savior died to set you free, all right? So, so apples to oranges, right? And so what I want you to know is there is an understanding is, hey, you could be proud of your country, or right now, now that you can either, in, like, we'll get angry with this, but you've either got... Uh, mean as a snake candidate or you got crazy as a road lizard candidate right you pick which one they are which one you want to choose you could flop them if you want to it's about the same thing there's no right or wrong answer here's the thing is where everybody in christians are sitting there going let's get in our bunker let's get down let's do whatever it is get down not dance okay communication is hard to do let's just you know keep our heads down whatever everything's falling apart my hope is not in my citizenship of the United States of America. Am I glad that I was born here? Absolutely. But what I'm much more happy about is that I am a citizen of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. You guys got that? Amen? Okay. Now here's what he's going to do. He's just going to show the distinction between these two things. Here's the assurance he wants to give you because he had really good news. Here's the, here's the good example. Here's the bad example. Don't follow this example Here's the assurance of those that are on the right track following the right example. And what he does is, I think in these next verses, what he's doing is he's, he's distinguishing between what he says in verse 19, for those that are falling away, bad example, to how we ought to be living for those who are truly in the faith. And very quickly, he first of all talks about assurance of their end. He says in verse 19, their end is, in, is destruction. Look at verse 20. He says, the end of those who are citizens of heaven is where? heaven difference in where they're going their appetite now notice this 
He says here in verse 19, he says, of whom I have, he says, uh, excuse me, verse 19, he says, their God is their belly, meaning what? They are submitting themselves to the lordship of their own passions. Look at the appetite that he says that those are on the right track. And in, in, uh, in verse 21 again, he says, he says, we are citizenships and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For us, our appetite is Jesus, not the things of this world. Their glory, note this, their glory is to glory in their sin. To glory in their sin. He says, what is our glory? To share the glory of of Christ in a new glorified body incapable of sinning. That's the glory of the believer. One day, Christ is going to come again. I know for some of you, you're like, is that a rapture or second coming? Rapture or second coming? One day, he's going to come again. All right? I mean, let's just say that. One day, he's going to come again. And when he does... He's going to resurrect those that are dead and their bodies are all, you don't even want to look at them. They're all falling apart, seeing pictures, doesn't look good. Those people are going to get a new glorified body in Jesus Christ. And those who remain are going to be trans, transitioned, changed in the twinkling of an eye and the likeness of Jesus Christ. And he's finally going to, we are finally going to have our bodies and our flesh match up with who we are spiritually new in Christ. And we will never struggle with sin again. That's what he has for us. He says in their mindset, here in in the mindset of the other, he says the mindset is on earthly things. The difference for those who are in Christ Jesus, our mindset, he says, all Jesus, all the time, his will, his word, and his way. In chapter four and verse one, look at this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus, and the Lord, my beloved. When, when I read that to you, I know it's from Paul to the Philippians, but I got to tell you, it's, it's from me to you. I love what, Paul, what, 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 what Dan said. Wow, I just called you Paul, Dan. Um, the, um, you've really grown. So when Dan got up and he goes, man, I just love this church. I, I believe in his heart he loves his church. And, and what, here's what I'm going to ask for you. I'm going to ask for you, will we, my, my, my brothers, my love, who we long for, our joy, our crown, will we set, no matter what's coming in the future, no matter what's on the agenda, no matter what's happening tomorrow or later today or whatever it is, may we stand firm. Stand firm in Christ. Stand firm unmoved in the word of God. Stand firm by following the right examples and being the right example. There were some here today, you need to stand firm in knowing this, is that you're not on the right track. You're not on the right way. You're not on the way to heaven. You're on the way to ultimate destruction. Let us come, let us join together and recognize that Jesus Christ is the only way. Repenting of our sin placing faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ as his death, burial, and resurrection, calling out to him for his mercy and for his grace. And the Bible says he will not turn any away who calls on him. Amen? Will you stand firm? Let's pray together.